This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of What the Heck is Crypto. I'm your host, Stephen Cesaro. A bit of a quiet week in the markets here. Uh, it's December 21st as we're recording this. Uh, Ethereum's still sitting around uh, 1210, very similar to, to last week. Volatility has really, uh, really collapsed in the markets. Uh, kind of ominous, I think. Feels like we're waiting for the next shoe to drop, maybe hopefully a move up, but uh, who knows at this point, I think uh, it's the, the end of the year. A lot of people uh, going home, turning off the computers. They're not trading. Uh, Liquidity is a little thin. Uh, volume is down. So I'm expecting things to get a little more exciting from a uh, price action standpoint uh, in the new year. Uh, anyway, uh, in the news this week, we uh, we're going to talk first a little bit about uh, Binance. Uh, Binance, of course, the world's largest crypto exchange uh, by by a country mile, uh, enormous exchange. Uh, there's been a lot of drama in recent weeks uh, about uh, Binance potentially being in, in, in trouble. I mean, hopefully not to the extent uh, that FTX was. FTX was a uh, complete uh, unmitigated fraud. Um, but we do see exchange insolvencies um, from time to time uh, in crypto, it's been a been a common occurrence, and and people are people are freaking out because this would be this would be a really really bad uh, bad event for the space. Um, after the FTX collapse, there was a lot of pressure on exchanges to do something called uh, proof of reserves, where they could sort of show that they had the uh, customer uh, deposits on hand to uh, to pay people back. And uh, Binance put out a little proof of reserve audit uh, a couple of weeks ago and it's been met with like a, a lot of criticism uh they they had a lot of problems uh, with this audit uh, among them they included uh btc.b on their balance sheet uh btc.b is not really bitcoin it's a it's a binance uh, tokenized version of bitcoin and so people are sort of rightfully uh worried about them uh, marking that to market at the same price as Bitcoin when it's uh, it's really not. There was some um, funky accounting done with the margin trading debts uh, of accounts on the platform. Uh, no real attempt either to prove the liabilities, you know, showing you have all this cash on hand uh, is only 
part of the equation, right? You could show that you've got $20 billion of, in assets on hand, but if it turns out you've actually got 40 billion in liability somewhere, um, you know, that 20 billion is, is, is not gonna cut it. You're in, uh, you're in deep trouble. To make matters worse, the firm that was auditing Binance, a firm called uh, Mazars Group, kind of quietly nuked their website uh, containing the audit on it. CZ recently also appeared on uh, CNBC's Squawk Box and had a, a little trouble in an interview there. He was he was asked a pretty legitimate question about um, you know whether they would be able to uh, return uh, $2.1 billion to uh, the FTX bankruptcy estate if um, if legally obligated to, and uh, you know CEO CZ um, di- didn't didn't really give a answer to this that expired much confidence. The the, the issue at hand here is that when bankruptcies happen, uh, the the state that's sort of in charge of the bankruptcy they have the ability to execute something called a a clawback. You know they can go back in time to creditors who who had money with the entity that went bankrupt, uh, who who withdrew that money. You know thirty, sixty, even ninety days ago in the rear and they can like legally take that money back, claw back all the money um, and, and kind of distribute the funds equally to everybody. So, so if this were to happen, you know, uh, Binance could be faced with a you know, $2.1 billion obligation on, on top of uh, the, these already pre-existing concerns about their ability to, to uh, serve uh, user balances. And, you know, that could be a little, a uh, little iffy in, in the space. Um, one, Thing that people are really bringing up that is <laughs> causing a lot of panic is that Binance has a, a token, uh, the BNB token, and uh, an enormous chunk of their reserves are held in BNB token. They, you know, they're probably using it as collateral. Um, this, this this sounds familiar to you. It's it, it's because it is. It, this is a similar thing that happened with the FTX and their FTT token. FTX basically created this token out of thin air. Said it sort of represented equity in the exchange, but not really. They just sort of used trading fees to buy it back. It had sort of a nebulous uh, relationship to the profitability of the exchange. But in reality, um, they just kind of printed a bunch of these tokens and controlled the float. And when people started selling it, it became very, uh, very apparent very quickly that there was nothing there. Uh, And that token went uh, almost straight to zero overnight. so obviously the fear right now is that the, the same could happen with BNB. There's been some drama uh, in the price. The BNB token price has been uh, flirting with a pretty critical level of, of price support in the, the low 200 areas. Uh, and if you look at a chart of BNB, you will see there is a really nothing but air below us down to, I don't know, maybe $40 or so. So um, if the coin does lose this level, like we could be in for a, a lot of pain um, and I'm, I'm sure like a lot of contagion as a result to that. Uh, in fairness to, to Binance here, there, there's some things worth uh, pointing out. Um, the first is that the, the BNB token is, is not identical to FTT in that uh, it also has a dual use as a token on Binance's chain, Binance Smart Chain. Uh, Binance Smart Chain is basically this like fork of Ethereum that is quote unquote cheaper and faster than Ethereum. It's cheaper and faster because uh, you know, Binance basically controls the entire network. They run all the nodes. Um, but you know that that being said, it is it is an extremely popular uh, chain. There's there's been a, a lot of activity on there. It, it, it grew to uh, grew to a high degree of popularity during the last bull run when Ethereum fees were you know in the hundreds of dollars to do 
basic transactions. And a lot of people in the world wanted to use crypto and, you know, pay a penny for a transaction. So a lot of activity migrated to Binance chain. So activity on Binance chain does support the BNB token. I think Binance chain is a similar burn mechanism to Ethereum where the, you know, the usage of the network basically translates into burn of the token, which pushes the price up. So not exactly the same as FTT. Also, Binance has just been in the space for a a much longer time. They're, they're, they're much larger. So I, I don't think it's appropriate to just say this is exactly the same and uh, that the sky is falling. Also, Binance has been processing an insane amount of withdrawals. I, I saw last I checked, like 40,000 Bitcoin had been withdrawn from the exchange, uh, billions and billions and billions of withdrawals. And they seem to have handled those withdrawals uh, just fine so far. Um, I think the likelihood that this collapse happens is is, is definitely less than 50%. Um, unfortunately, it, it is it is greater than uh, zero, um, not to you know, not to spread FUD, but um, you have to consider as an investor that this this is a possibility. Um, it, it would be, I think, an, an appropriate sort of a final nail in the coffin, final capitulation uh, for crypto if it were to happen. So if you're keeping a lot of money on Binance, uh, please don't. Please don't keep a lot of money on any exchanges. Please learn how to self-custody um, and, and be aware of what types of assets you are uh, exposed to in the, 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 the coins that you hold and where you are um, keeping those coins because um, you may be taking on a lot of risks that you're not aware of. Anyway, uh, next up in the news here, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, BTC miner capitulation. Core Scientific, uh, one of the largest Bitcoin miners, I think they controlled 5% or so of the hash rate on the network. They have, uh, they have filed uh, for, for bankruptcy protection. This is sort of one of those shoes that a lot of people have been waiting to, to drop. We have not seen a tremendous drop off in, in hash rate on, on the Bitcoin network. Um, when, I, when I'm talking about hash rate, like Bitcoin is a proof of work coin. And, and the way the network is secured is that you have these, you have these companies, basically, they're, they're mostly controlled by large entities um, with just, you know, hundreds, thousands of uh, com- computers in a warehouse. And they're, they're, they're mining. They're basically uh, using all of the power of their, uh, their, their ASIC uh, cards to, to run calculations, to, to guess a hash to uh, get to put the next Bitcoin block in place. When they get to put that Bitcoin block in place first, they get a reward. And, you know, that the, the company, as long as they're spending uh, less on electricity than the, the, the Bitcoin reward, um, you know, they, they, they reap a nice little profit and, the, and their business succeeds. Mining is kind of a crappy business. Uh, you buy these miners and they, they depreciate to zero. Uh, pretty quickly, every year or two, or whatever the cycle is, they come out with new, uh, new Bitcoin miners that can, uh, you know, more efficiently crunch those calculations. Uh, eventually, it becomes uh, more expensive to uh, run your Bitcoin miner than the uh, than the reward uh, you get for finding a finding a block, and 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 those miners um, turn off. So, because of the margins, like a lot of these businesses, you know, they have they have debt, um, they have a lot of uh, infrastructure a lot of CapEx to support. And uh, what happens typically during bear markets is, you know, the, the, the price of Bitcoin drops. And when the price of Bitcoin drops, the value of the reward that these miners are getting drops because they're, you know, they're getting Bitcoin as a reward. If you mined a Bitcoin block at the peak of the last bull run, you, you got something worth $69,000. If you mine a Bitcoin block today, 
you're getting something worth, eh, you know, 16 ish thousand dollars. And if you're a company that's running on like thin margins, you know, if you're running on like three, four percent uh, operating margins, then like a, a, you know, 70, 80 percent drop in the price is basically a 70, 80 percent drop in your revenue. And then you can become insolvent uh, pretty quickly. So so as traders, one of the things we look for on the charts is a, is a is a chart of the Bitcoin hash rate. Like you can literally see like sort of like the raw computing power uh, of the Bitcoin network as it goes up and down like a line on a chart. And this cycle, hash rate has not really come down. So in spite of the Bitcoin price crashing, we have not seen like a, a big decrease uh, in hash rate. And I, I think it's coming. I'm like fairly certain it's coming. A lot of smart people I know uh, think it's coming. It's sort of one of those signs I'm waiting for um, as like a, a signal that we are finally capitulating and maybe ready to go up. So once these uh, miners start, uh, you know, filing for bank bankruptcy um, because they can't pay the bills anymore, uh, they turn the miners off. As more of these miners shut down, turn their miners off, the hash rate drops and drops. And then another side effect of this is sometimes these miners, in order to pay the bills, in order to kind of, you know, regain some semblance of solvency, they ultimately sell their Bitcoin that can become this like self-reinforcing feedback loop, which forces other miners to sell their Bitcoin. And then you get this capitulation where hash rate drops very quickly, price drops very quickly. And then the uh, remaining players who are in the space and solvent can sometimes go around, buy up these assets, um, you know, shore up their operations. And then we go back up and kind of do the cycle uh, all over again. So definitely something I'm looking out for. Keep reporting to you guys if I see uh, anything more happen on the minor capitulation front, but I'm expecting to see a lot more of this in, you know, Q1 of next year, maybe into uh, Q2. A little bit now on the good news side, Visa has announced that they're uh, proposing a blockchain account design that would allow for automatic payments uh, on Ethereum uh, from a self-custodied wallet. This would give crypto users a way to uh, interact with merchants and, and make recurring payments uh, easily. Uh, directly from their their own ETH wallet that they uh, custody. Uh, no more, no more cashing out your stable coins to to an exchange and then wiring money to a bank and then you know using your credit card or uh, your bill pay as normal. You can start doing this stuff sort of directly on chain and 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 cutting out the middleman. Visa has been like pretty active on Ethereum. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but Visa actually bought a CryptoPunk during the last bull run, CryptoPunks, you know, one of the most popular, uh, beloved uh, NFT projects on Ethereum. So they've been doing a pretty good job, I think, about being like a really, you know, blockchain positive company. I, I think it's really worth noting that they do seem to be doing a lot on Ethereum and they're not doing a lot on Bitcoin. And this isn't necessarily like an ideological thing. It's just that Bitcoin in its current state can't really support the type of, uh, you know, the type of activity that, you know, somebody like Visa wa wants to do uh, for payments. Bitcoin made a really conscious decision years ago to sort of not go forward with smart contracts um, and the ability to build these digital applications on top of Bitcoin. Um, that was the, uh, you know, catalyst for Ethereum to come into existence to try to build this, um, this sort of like uh, decentralized uh, computer effectively that people could uh, build on. And, and, and today, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of the fruits of those labor. Like we, we see a very robust ecosystem 
on Ethereum. Um, you are seeing brands doing stuff there now, not just Visa, but you're seeing, uh, you know, brands like, like like GameStop and 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 Nickelodeon, like they're doing stuff with um, with NFTs. Um, we're building like high powered applications that can do, uh, you know, complicated things like derivative exchanges, like 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 DYDX. We've got borrowing and lending platforms with applications like Ave uh, and Compound. I mean, we, we're sort of trying to rebuild like a lot of the existing world, but like on chain. Um, we can't do that on Bitcoin right now. So this is one of the reasons I'm so bullish on Ethereum. I, I, I still do think like the greatest UK use case for um, crypto is to just simply make um, payments better and to just give more people access to, to dollars, quite frankly. I think if you live in a a, a non uh, first world country, um, you, you know, your primary concern is like having access to some semblance of stable money that you are able to have custody of. And like you, that can be outside of the government. Um, like stable coins, uh, stable coins like, like USDC, like die, these, these tokenized versions of dollars, you know, um, satisfy a lot of the reasons why people wanted to create crypto in the, in the first place. Um, yes, it's true that USDC is centralized. Yes, it is an entity that controls it. Yes, they could turn off your coins if they want to, right? Um, but for somebody living in Argentina, it's just like, what do they care about more? Do they care about, um, you know, the complete incorruptibility of the Bitcoin network, but they have to deal with their coins going down 80% in a year? Or do they say like, this is great. I get dollars. I, sure. I don't care if the U S government controls my dollars. I, I just, I just want access to dollars. And for them, uh, stable coins are kind of a killer use case. So expect to see more in the future, uh, with, with visa. I'm sure, I'm sure you're going to see stuff from MasterCard in the future, MX, like I, all these companies I think are eventually going to have to capitulate, start, uh, start using blockchain infrastructure for this type of stuff. Um, and I think this is going to be bullish for crypto. Like the more people interact with applications that are sort of native to the real world, but start running on crypto rails, um, maybe without them even using it, you know, the more users we're going to onboard. And it's important to, to kind of hammer this point home. The only cryptocurrency that, that, that I'm aware of that has any sort of scale that has like an actual sort of mechanism to turn usage into revenue and is profitable in doing so is Ethereum, right? Like there is no mechanism to return value to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is just, it has a price because that's the price people are willing to, to buy and sell it at, but it doesn't generate a tremendous amount of fees. Um, and it doesn't generate fees in, in excess of the, you know, the cost of maintaining the security of the network via the inflationary block reward that's paid every single block to miners. Um, Ethereum now, after proof of stake, has a mechanism in place where issuance is very, very low and the demand for block space, the amount, the price people pay for block space is now, you know, more than the inflation of the token, right? Um, and as a result, like when people use the Ethereum network, they need ETH, they demand ETH, they spend ETH. That ETH is burned from the network. It's gone forever. And then over time, we have less and less and less and less ETH. It's sort of like a stock buyback that is happening 
in proportion to the amount of users that come in and, and, and do activity on the ecosystem. So the more brands that come on board building stuff, the more applications that are built, the more people use ETH, the more payments that are spent. All of this stuff is accretive to, to ETH holders. And I've been like trying to hammer this point home to people for a long time. And it's, it's something that nobody really gets right now because it's very new. And also we are just in a very nasty bear market and the price doesn't care about these fundamentals yet. But I, I think sometime within the next year or two tops, like hopefully, you know, by the end of next year, um, we do see that final sort of puking of all the glut and the sell off of the system, which is going to take everything down with it. Right. But at the end of that, I think you're going to see this um, differentiation within crypto between stuff that is valuable and stuff that isn't. Everything goes up in a bull market, all the dumb NFT projects that don't mean anything, all the coins that are just nothing more than some roadmap with like just hopes and dreams shoved down your throat. Um, but when prices start crashing, people start actually running uh, to real value. And I, I think that like Ethereum is a like shining example of this. Like it is maintained its value versus even Bitcoin throughout the entire bear market. You know, we're still at the same Bitcoin price uh, that we were in, in May of, of, of 2021 right now. And, and meanwhile, like virtually every other cryptocurrency that exists has, has just bled like crazy against ETH. You pull up a chart of like uh, some popular coins people were trading in the last bull run, like Solana or, or, or Cardano uh, or, or Avalanche. All of these coins are just decimated versus ETH and they will continue to bleed versus ETH in my opinion and probably just trend to zero uh, over time with ETH. So this is the time where, you know, the, the the cream rises to the top. It's a time where as an investor, you want to start kind of picking through the wreckage and, and averaging into the the stuff that actually has value. Um, because of that, I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, the, the most important part of ETH, I think for you as an investor, other than the tokenomics I just described, um, because it's a, uh, it, it's come to my attention. Like whenever I talk to people that, most people I know who own ETH who aren't super, super crypto savvy uh, people, are, are they're still not staking their ETH. And if you are not staking your ETH, I think you are leaving a, an incredible amount of, of, of value on the table. Um, and, and let me explain why. So in Bitcoin, you sort of get paid by the network to secure it by mining, right? Which means you have to run a mining rig and you basically have to burn this electricity. And when you when you get to make a block, you, you, you get a Bitcoin as a reward, right? Um, ETH and its change to a proof of stake mechanism now doesn't have any more mining. Instead, the network basically pays people to uh, lock up all of their ETH. Well, not all of their ETH, but, you know, 32 ETH at a time if you run a validator. Um, these validators basically like make the blocks um, and, and, and they, they secure the network. And, and, and in doing so, they are compensated with Ethereum in the same way that Bitcoin miners are, are compensated uh, with Bitcoin. Uh, if you want to learn more about how staking works and consensus mechanisms, all this stuff, like I super encourage you to uh, go online, uh, do some research or, or hit me up on Twitter or, you know, in my uh, alfalfapod.com uh, uh, crypto discord, where we like to talk about this stuff in a little more uh, detail. I don't want to make this pod go too down the rabbit hole, but the, the, the basic principle is that you can take your ETH, you can pledge it to the network to secure it, and then the network can pay you 
and more ETH for, for doing so. Currently, the staking reward for ETH is, is about 4.5%. So if you were to make a you know, somewhat dubious assumption that we stay at about a 4.5% rate uh, for 10 years, imagine holding ETH for a decade. At the end of that decade, you could, you could have you know, like 60, uh, 65% more ETH if you staked it versus didn't staking it, you know, imagine you, you got $10,000 of ETH and, and ETH does a, you know, does a 20 X and that's amazing. Now you've got $200,000 uh, worth of ETH, but you didn't stake it. You could have had $300,000 worth of ETH or $350,000 worth of ETH um, in 10 years. Right. So this, this could be a kind of a, a big mistake that uh, compounds for you. If you, if you don't, if you don't do this. Um, so how do you stake ETH? Um, it, it's, it's not an unreasonably, uh, it's, it's a good question to ask um, because it can be super complicated. It can be super simple. Um, at a high level, there's two ways to stake Ethereum and, and earn interest on it. The first option is the self-custody option. And this basically means you have to run your own Ethereum node. Uh, you have to set it up. You have to configure it. Uh, and then you have to ensure that it is going to be connected to the internet uh, basically all the time. This typically involves, I think, for people like renting some sort of cloud computing service out. It costs a monthly fee to do that, obviously. There, there's a lot there. Um, and I honestly don't know many people who run their own, um, you know, Ethereum uh, nodes, like Ethereum validators like this, because it is a bit of a technical headache. And, and there are, I think, pretty good alternatives out there for somebody who is not super hardcore um, but wants to kind of participate in this. And so that the alternative to, to self-custody is to outsource it to, to someone else. <laughs> and, I, and I don't necessarily mean like a, a person. I think there are two sort of good options here uh, within the outsourcing uh, realm. The, the first is to outsource it to a centralized exchange. So it, basically you keep your ETH on an exchange and the exchange stakes it for you. It handles all of that process uh, and it you know pays you a percentage of the, the uh, reward and usually keeps a chunk of it for itself. Now, I don't really recommend this as a good setup for people. However, if you are, if you're just like, Steven, I don't care. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with self-custody. I'm going to keep my ETH on an exchange and that it is what it is. So be it. Okay. If that's your attitude, fine. I totally get that. Um, you should probably do it. I think on Coinbase, two reasons for this. Uh, first is that, you know, Coinbase is a, is a publicly traded company. They have the most kind of thorough audits, financial reporting. I, I, I think that you can feel a lot safer um, with your money there than you can on some random international exchange that basically has no regulators looking over it, right? So Coinbase is good for that reason. The other reason that Coinbase is good is that they have um, their own tokenized form of the ETH, right? They have this ETH called Coinbase ETH. And Coinbase ETH is sort of like an IOU on staked ETH. It's basically, you know, the same price as Ethereum. Um, but what it does is it like, it, it accrues interest over time. So if you hold Coinbase ETH token in your wallet, without doing anything, you get, you know, four or so percent more tokens just deposited into your wallet automatically every single year. Also, because Coinbase is a kind of really big ubiquitous exchange, um, Coinbase ETH, you know, has a better probability of being like able to be used somewhere else. Like you could like use it to, to borrow against it and 
uh, in, in certain areas, DeFi, something like that. So pretty good option for you. If you're, you're already keeping your ETH on an exchange, um, you may as well just stake it with them, uh, get the interest. Um, I think we talked about last week that we're, we're probably going to see withdrawals enabled in March. Like currently you can't withdraw ETH that you stake from the network. It's been that way for a couple of years, but those withdrawals are supposed to be enabled in, in March. So kind of worst case scenario right now, you should only have a, you know, two or three uh, months of uh, illiquidity on that front. And because Coinbase ETH is like a token, you could always just sell your Coinbase ETH for ETH and kind of get your money out. So it's almost almost irrelevant at this point. Okay, so let's assume you are a little bit more savvy or you want to learn how to take a little more control over your crypto. You don't want your coins on an exchange. You want to sort of custody them uh, in a wallet. The most hardcore option is obviously to set up your own validator. But if that's too hardcore for you, as it is for me, you can use these um, third party tools that are sort of right now like pseudo decentralized, I would say, but they, they have a path towards becoming fully decentralized, which is which is good. So there's 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 two um, main uh, staking providers you want to look at. Uh, the first is a is a provider called Lido. So you can check them out. I think uh, Lido.fi is their website. Um, Lido is absolutely enormous. I, I believe they have like 29% of all ETH. 29% of all Ethereum is currently staked in Lido right now. Uh, Coinbase is number two uh, with 6.2%. So Lido is an enormous uh, protocol in terms of its share of, of, of staked ETH. Um, what I really like about Lido is that you maintain a great deal of control of your crypto. You know, you you basically uh, it, it's similar to how Coinbase ETH has like a tokenized version of its ETH. You know, you you, you basically stake your ETH on Coinbase. You get CB ETH. Um, when you stake with Lido, you get a token called uh, ST ETH, uh, staked ETH. Uh, I think it is, is short for that. Um, but but ST ETH is this um, token that is kind of ubiquitous in, in, in DeFi right now. It, it's everywhere. So um, similar to CB ETH, ST ETH is this token that you can either get by staking ETH or you could simply just buy it on an exchange like Uniswap or, or, or Curve. Um, like literally take ETH in your wallet, go to uniswap.com, go to, go to uniswap.org, uh, go to curve.fi. Um, you can swap your ETH for ST ETH. And now you basically have a tokenized version of, of, of staked ETH. So why I like Lido ETH so much is that um, it offers two versions of it. There's, there's, a, there's a sort of ST ETH and there's a wrapped version of, 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 um, of Lido called WST ETH. And forgive me, I know this is getting a little wonky. Um, but in the United States anyway, one of the problems with um, something like, uh, like a ST ETH is that because your um, rewards are accruing from staking, it means that your wallet is continuously getting new tokens deposited into it. And you're like, oh, this is great, free money. But it turns out that this may be a taxable event every time you get a staking reward. And if you're just sort of holding these coins for a decade, well, paying ordinary income tax gains on your staked ETH year after year after year after year kind of sucks. So you have an alternative to this because you can wrap your uh, Lido ETH in, into to wrapped Lido ETH and wrap Lido ETH instead of depositing new coins into your wallet, like every single 
block that you uh, you know you get a staking reward instead you you have the same amount of tokens and the rewards all accrue to that token so you're not getting new tokens you're just getting a token that increases in value faster than the price of uh, standard eth and because of this mechanism um you don't have to pay any taxes on that this is like a oh well, please consult with your accountant I, i'm not trying to give you financial advice but to the best of my knowledge um you don't have to pay any any tax to this because you're not getting any sort of like new property uh, deposited into your uh, wallet. So uh, I, I love Lido ETH for this. The other reason I really like Lido ETH is like you have so much flexibility with what to do with your ETH, right? If you run your own validator, um, sure, that is the best thing for your own protection, for your own self-custody, for, 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 you know, being trustless. But you can't really do anything with the ETH that you have staked. Whereas um, if you stake your ETH with Lido, if you have ST ETH, you can use that STETH in a variety of places in DeFi. You can leverage the yield on it if you're a little bit of a, a risky person and, and earn like 6% or 8% or even 10%, depending on how crazy you get, um, if you want to take on that risk. So that's cool. You can boost your yield. You know, 10% a year on ETH is, is pretty attractive over the course of a, a decade if you run that math out. Um, you can also easily use it as collateral, which is the main reason I like it. I like to use Aave. Uh, compound these lending borrow uh, protocols. It's really cool because you can keep all this value in staked ETH, and then you can borrow uh, stable coins against it. At, you know, whenever you want. Maybe you want to leverage up, buy more coins. Maybe you want to buy a car. Maybe you just need to pay a bill or something. It's really nice to have that flexibility. So you're still kind of custodying these coins in your wallet, but you can do a lot with them. The one thing I will say is that this stuff is not hundred percent foolproof. Um, yes, I think it's safe, but crypto is a kind of a, a black swanny type ecosystem. And you should always be aware of, of the risks that uh, are, are present. Um, it is certainly possible that Coinbase could become insolvent and go into bankruptcy. I think that's improbable, but it could happen. And if that does happen, you could lose a portion of your ETH deposits, if not all of them. Um, it is possible that there could be some, you know, flaw in the code of, of Lido and like that ETH could be lost. Now, if that happens, I also think the price of Ethereum is going to absolutely nuke. So you're going to kind of be screwed uh, no matter what happens uh, if you own Ethereum, even if it's not staked with Lido. Um, but that is a you know thing you should be concerned with. Um, and for that reason, I think it's good to kind of move your staked ETH into a variety of areas. Um, I think uh, Kobe on Twitter has called this the uh, Horcrux method uh, after the, you know, the, the Harry Potter reference, you want to take your, your valuable crypto stuff and just split it up into as many different pieces as you, as you can. Like if you're a real hardcore person so that you're not exposed to one wallet, to one protocol, like if the shit hits the fan for some reason, um, you're not going to lose everything in, in, in one shot. Um, and you should definitely do this with your staked ETH as well. You could keep some of your ETH on uh, Coinbase, you can keep some of it with Lido. Uh, you can keep some of it with other staking providers. And, and I want to drop one other staking provider who I, I think is really, really good. Um, and they don't quite have the market share that they deserve yet, but I, I think they will. Um, and that that's Rocket Pool. So Rocket Pool is similar to Lido in that you're sort of like uh, delegating your your staked ETH to somebody else who's running uh, like the the validator for you. It's it's tokenized, and you do maintain. Um, mostly you know some semblance of uh, custody and control over your uh, 
over your ETH, you know, much more so than when you give it to, uh, to Coinbase. Rocket Pool is also great um, because uh, it, it has its own tokenized version of ETH. I think it's our ETH and like ST ETH, you can use our ETH as collateral. You can borrow against it in DeFi. You've got all of this, um, all of this flexibility. Um, there are uh, also, there's different mechanisms behind how Rocket Pool works from a staking perspective uh, versus Lido. I think it's, Probably a little beyond the scope of this podcast because we're getting a little uh, getting a little long on time uh, right now. But maybe I'll I'll, I'll dive into that uh, a, a, another time. Um, also got my eye on uh, Frax Finance. They've been doing a, a staking uh, staking thing for a few months now. Seems to be getting some some traction. Uh, haven't put any money in it myself yet. Uh, still still researching it. I'm trying to be. Uh, kind of careful with my ETH because I don't want to lose it. Um, but yeah, I think those are your, those are your options there. You've got your Lido, you've got your, your Coinbase, you got your Rocket Pool. I think those are three pretty good options for you. If you don't want to do your own staking, you know, just depending on your, your, your own personal preference. Um, one final thing I'll say is that you could also just take ETH, um, and, and, you know, lend it out in DeFi now, um, ideally with like a safe protocol, like, like Aave or Compound, uh, last I checked, you could earn like two and a half, three percent, I think, just on on regular ETH and Ave. So if you trust Ave and you don't trust Lido and you want to earn a little bit on your ETH, um, you know, you could simply just deposit it in like a it's basically a crypto bank where people borrow it and they uh, they pay interest. So yeah, there's a few a uh, few options for earning interest on your your ETH. I think it's one of the most interesting things about ETH is that you do have the ability to earn a yield on it, unlike Bitcoin. Um, the, there is a yield on ETH. It doesn't come from some sort of uh, Ponzi scheme. It doesn't come from you, uh, you know, secretly lending, some, giving tokens to somebody and they secretly lend them out and then they, you know, charge you some interest, but then they don't, they don't pay you back. Uh, <laughs> uh, there, there, there is a real thing here. It's a really interesting uh, new kind of uh, financial product. And in, in my opinion, that we've just sort of uh, created ETH is like, it's simultaneously like this cryptocurrency that's it, it's a bond it's a commodity like oil, um, you know, it's just underlying collateral asset for, uh, th this entire ecosystem that we're building. Uh, it, it's super exciting. Um, and I know that, you know, a couple of years from now when we get through this like really, really difficult time, <laughs> I, um, I, I, I really think we're going to be feeling good about our, our investment. Um, but yeah, one final thing, ETH especially is is super volatile. I, I don't know if the bottom is in. I don't know if we're going to $300 next year. I don't know if we're going to hundred bucks. Like all of these things, believe it or not, are well within the uh, uh, the probability distribution uh, of outcomes. Um, so I personally, you know, I'm, I'm not investing anything that I can't lose in a absolutely worst case uh, nuclear scenario because those do come up uh, more than you might think. Uh, and my strategy at this point is to just, you know, buy a little bit um, every week, because even though I don't think this is the bottom, I, I sort of think it's it's close enough and bottoms are hard to pick. And um, yeah, I'm just kind of more concerned about the the 10 year outlook at this point. And if I lose, you know, half my investment for six or seven months, but you know, I get to, you know, 10 or 20 exit and in five, 10 years, um, that's a risk that I uh, personally am willing to take but you got to do what's right for you you know all right anyway that's uh i think that's enough of me rambling for for one week sorry we went a little long there but uh i hope that was useful to you i know that was a little denser than a couple of episodes we've done recently i'm still trying to get a 
a feel for, uh, you know, the sweet spot of uh, <laughs> information and uh, digestibility here. But um, yeah, if you enjoyed that, um, feel free to reach out to me uh, on Twitter. Give me a follow there at Stephen Cesaro. Uh, and, and once again, if you want to uh, chat crypto with some like-minded people, um, I'm always hanging out every day in the uh, Alpha Alpha Pod uh, Discord. So for those of you who know how to use Discord chat, hop over to alphaalphapod.com. Uh, join our Discord, uh, chat crypto with me, chat crypto with a bunch of other people who are in there uh, trying to get through this bear market and uh, make some money on the other side of it. And with that, I will uh, I will leave you there. I hope you have a uh, very Merry Christmas. I hope Santa brings you everything you want. Uh, and I hope he brings us some, uh, <laughs> some better ETH prices coming into the new year. Have a good one, everybody. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.